Now, our reading this morning is from John's Gospel, chapter 7, starting at verse 25. Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, and people have been getting into an argument with him about who he is. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? But we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he's from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I'm from him. And he sent me. At this they tried to seize him. But no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd put their faith in him. They said, when the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you only for a short time, and then I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Christ. Still others asked, How can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Has any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it. You will find a prophet does not come out of Galilee. In this passage, Jesus is teaching in the temple among the huge crowds of pilgrims. The temple police are closing in, and he knows it. And as he looked out over that crowd, there would have been faces red with rage, 
desperate to grab him. But still others looking up to him with hunger and thirst in their eyes. And knowing all this, he stands up from his seat and he cries out, not just to those who have been listening to his teaching, but to, to all the crowds, everyone. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. He calls everyone who thirsts. His friends, his enemies, the rulers and the pilgrims, disciples, the temple police, everyone to come to him. In the last couple of weeks, we've seen how Jesus came up to Jerusalem during this feast, this celebration where people lived in tents and temporary huts, remembering how centuries before their ancestors had been rescued from slavery in Egypt by God. It was also a time when they remembered how God had provided for them in the desert as he brought them up from Egypt to their new land. Now, we don't really need to know much more than that to understand what Jesus has said, but it's still, it casts a little bit more light, perhaps, to know that historians tell us that, as well as living in those tents, they look back very particularly to the way God had provided water for them in the desert. Each day, the priest would go up with golden jugs filled from the Pool of Siloam and carry them up in a procession to the temple and pour them out as part of their sacrifices to God. And they'd give thanks to God for the water he'd given those people in the past. And they'd pray for water in the present for their crops to grow, much like people in Africa and Afghanistan are praying just now. But they'd also pray something much deeper. They'd remember all the ways the Old Testament used the example, the, the metaphor, the word picture of water, of rain, of rivers as a metaphor for God's blessing come, particularly his Holy Spirit poured out, for the renewal of God's life-giving blessing on his people. And they'd pray that God would do that. They'd pray that God would pour out those blessings satisfy his people's spiritual needs and longings. And here, Jesus, after they've been doing this every day for seven days, Jesus stands up and says, come, everyone who is thirsty. Now, this passage, it's in the middle of a fierce argument about who Jesus is. And twice, Jesus stands up in response to all the argument and, and cries out loudly, saying, in effect, drop all this quibbling and listen. First he cries out about who he really is, that he's the son come from the father. And secondly, he cries out for all who come to him, all who, all who thirst to come to him and drink, that whoever believes in him will have the living water of the spirit flow from within him. Because Jesus is from the Father and returning to the Father. And because of that, because he is the one from God himself, he is also the one who can give God's spirit, who can satisfy our thirst, our need. He is the one, in other words, who can reconnect us with God in a way no one else can. So firstly, Christ, the Son, comes from the Father. We've seen all these people arguing about who Jesus is. And here he doubles down. You remember last week, the crowd of pilgrims had been a bit confused. They didn't think anyone was trying to kill Jesus. But now the locals, the Jerusalemites, the people who know what's going on, they're in the know. They start saying, isn't this the man the authorities are trying to kill, teaching here in public? Why aren't they grabbing him? <laughs> 
And they think, well, we know everything he's done and said. The only reason that they could be holding back is that they think he really is who he claims to be. He really is the Christ. Have the authorities really concluded he's the Christ? But this crowd of Jerusalemites doesn't think so. You see, there seems to have been a belief at that time that when the Christ came, he would come suddenly, without explanation, without anyone knowing where he was from. It's perhaps based on some Old Testament verses like Malachi 3.1, you know, suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. But they're reading in more than those verses say. They knew, of course, as well, as uh, it says in verse 41, that the Christ was going to come from David's family, from Bethlehem. But they expected him very suddenly. And they, so they say, we know where this man is from, verse 27. He's clearly not the man. He's from Galilee, after all. He's from Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. So Jesus cries out with an edge of sarcasm. Yes, you know me and you know where I'm from. Sure, you know me. Now, Jesus knows. John knows. John's first readers know. We know exactly where Jesus was born. And it wasn't Galilee, was it? But Jesus isn't here to nitpick and get into the nitty-gritty of the argument. He could say, you know, guys, I know my accent's Galilean, but really, I was born in Bethlehem. But instead, he wants to focus on the main issue, which is where he and his message are from. He says, I'm not here on my own. He who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. I know God and speak from God like no one else because I really am from him in a deeper way. And if we put that together with what Jesus has said in previous chapters, we begin to see he really is saying more than just that God sent him with a message. I am from him and he sent me. Remember back to to John 1. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's what, what John the disciple saw. And also, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Jesus isn't just the delivery man here. He, He is coming from God himself. And he can make God known in a way no one else can. As the Nicene Creed, that wonderful ancient summary of Christian belief shared by all Christians everywhere says, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father. In other words, God himself, just as the Father is God, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven, I was incarnate by the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. I know him because I am from him and he sent me. Now the Jerusalem crowd gets what he's saying. So they try to seize him. They can't though because it's not his time to die yet. He's not done. He's not finished rescuing us. And many of the crowd actually put their faith in him. They say, nobody could do more miracles than this man. This must be the Christ. And the Pharisees, the theologically sharp ones, get together to go with the high priests and they, they say, we, we've got to send the temple guard and arrest him. It was just a mob before. Now they have an arrest warrant. 
But Jesus isn't interested in defending himself here. But he knows things have moved a step closer to the end. They won't get him this time, but they have set something in motion that won't stop for six months, and then they will. I am with you only a short time, and then I go to the one who sent me. I'm going back to the Father. From the Father, I'll return to the Father. And unless you accept me in those terms, you'll look for me, and you will not find me where I am. You cannot come. Will you accept Jesus as the one who comes from all eternity from the Father, who reflects the Father's being, God himself come to us? Or will you keep on looking for a different sort of Messiah? And it's too much for them to compute. What's he on about? Is he emigrating? Is he off to teach the foreigners, the Greeks? probably a little bit of sarcasm there as well because Jesus wasn't off to teach the Greeks but his disciples just a few years later would be sweeping through the Greek world with his message Jesus has made it very clear that he's from the Father in a way no one else has now why is all that there it's to set us up for the next section because he's about to start talking about the spirit he's about to call us all to himself in a way that Nobody else can. He can only do because he is God from the Father. Because secondly, the Son pours out the life-giving Spirit. This is the second time he, he cries out to the crowd. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. You know, just as he's in danger of arrested, being arrested, he gets up, you know, people sat in those days to teach while all the people learning would, would stand as a way of showing respect to a teacher. Jesus wants everyone to hear this. So on the busiest day of the feast, so that no one in the crowds will miss it, he, he teaches, he shouts out what he, before he'd, he'd only taught quietly and in private to people like the woman at the well. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. They've been carrying the water up to the temple in their golden jugs, praying for water and praying for God to satisfy their spiritual thirst. Longing for what they read about in the Old Testament and for the promises of even more. You know what a what thirst is like on a really hot day. We, we don't feel it often here, do we? But we've had some hot weather recently. Perhaps you had some really hot, thirsty days. Well, imagine if you'd toiled up through the heat, through the dry Palestinian hills on that hard road up to Jerusalem. All your water is gone. You know, even if you're strong, you're feeling weak, dry, dizzy with thirst. If anyone is thirsty, if anyone has that deep longing, he says, let them come to me. Let them come and drink. Anyone at all. Not just the good or the clever or the religious. You know, the only qualification is thirst. Um, you know, babies can't read, they can't eat, you know, they can't really do very much, can they? They can't drink. So one thing every human being can do, come and drink. The only qualification is need. Are you thirsty? Jesus is seeking needless, needy, restless and longing hearts. Are you thirsty? Are you weary and needing support? Are you conscious that something is missing in your life? Are you knowing that you were made for more, for something deeper? 
for a joy that just isn't available in this world. Or perhaps you're aware of your sins, you're conscious that you are not good enough to stand before God and you need to have them taken from you. Perhaps you're needing to know the sure and solid hope that he will take you through death to life. Or maybe you're just thirsty to know God better, to love him more, to be filled with goodness and love for those around you. Remember what Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So, you and me, are, are we thirsty? Come. Come to me and drink. In me, your deepest longings are satisfied. There is something to slake and satisfy that thirst, that deep need that you feel, and it is given by me alone. Come to me. And he says, whoever believes in me... As the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. This drinking, in other words, I'm talking about, is a way of talking about believing in me. This belief, this believing in me, isn't just agreeing some truths about me. It's relying on me for life in the same way you rely on a glass of water to stop your body dying of thirst. Come, believe in me, and that thirst will be satisfied. When you believe in me, the wonderful promises of the Old Testament, as the scripture has said, will be fulfilled in you. Not merely that you will no longer be thirsty, but that streams of living water will flow from within you. Your thirst will be continually quenched by the water coming forth inside you. And that water will be living water. In other words, not a muddy puddle. That's what living water means. We often spiritualize it. But living water is, is, is lively, flowing water, fresh water, not stagnant, dead water. You will have living water come from within you. And not a trickle or a rivulet or even a stream, but streams of living water. In other words, enough to refresh you, but also to begin to refresh those around you will equip you to bring water to those you know. And by all of this, John explains, Jesus meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. You know, the Spirit had worked all through the Old Testament. He'd spoken through the prophets. He'd changed hearts. He'd brought people to God. But in comparison to that, he says, up to that time, the Spirit had not been given at all. This life, this stream of living water that is available to you and me, to those crowds on that day, is more rich and more full than any Old Testament person ever experienced. You might remember how Jesus said of John the Baptist, he's the greatest of people ever born to man, but the, the, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him because of the way the Spirit has been poured out. Because when Jesus was glorified, it says, when, since Jesus had not yet been glorified, that glorification, that way Paul, John talks about Jesus' death, his resurrection, his ascension again to the, the Father, through, through those things put together, he purchased life for us. He paid for our sins. He made us a suitable home for God's Spirit. It saw him rise to life, defeating death, and then returning to reign with the Father so that he might pour out that Spirit as his gift on you and me, as no one else could, connecting us again to the indestructible life of God. 
It's exactly what John the Baptist had prophesied at the start of the gospel. The one whose sandals he wasn't worthy to untie was the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And some of the crowd hear his words and they say, this is the prophet. They're not just thinking about a prophet in general there. They're thinking about the prophet, the great prophet that Moses had prophesied. A prophet like me, he said, who would come from his people. A great prophet, um, it says at the end of Deuteronomy. Um, someone who would show the mighty power and perform the awesome deeds Moses did. In other words, do miracles, just as Moses had done. But more than that, someone who knew God face to face, it says. Deuteronomy 34. Someone who knew God like no one else. And they're saying, here is that prophet come at last. And others are saying, here is the Christ, the Messiah, God's king, his rescuing king. And yet others say, no, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Messiah comes from David's family, from Bethlehem, the town where David lived. We know the answer to that, of course. It's exactly where he came from. But the people are divided. As people have been ever since. As people are all around the world. As people are in our community. Some people love him and trust him and believe him. See him as their prophet and their messiah and their saviour and their God. And others are raging. Wanting to grab him. To kill him. To seize him. And yet nobody can. Again, his, his time's not done. His job's not finished. And as we saw briefly last week, the temple guards themselves, the religious police, they, they've been listening. They, they couldn't help hearing the cry. And they go back empty-handed to the people who sent them. And they're, they're asking, you know, why didn't you arrest him? And they say, no one ever spoke the way this man does. Think about who they're, they're speaking to. They're speaking to the religious teachers, the Pharisees and the chief priests. They said, we, we've listened to you for years. You never spoke like this. We've listened to all your teaching. There's nothing like this man. Now the Pharisees perhaps are feeling that their teaching is perfectly good enough, thank you very much. Just mock them. Oh, you're just like this mob. These idiots. Curse them. They get really angry. And of course they think, you know, none of the rulers of the Pharisees have believed in him. No one proper has believed in him. And Nicodemus who visited him back in chapter 3 and very secretly and quietly is beginning to believe in him, speaks up. He's not quite gutsy enough to say much, but he's enough to say, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? And they just mock him. You know, who cares about that law? Who cares about that? You from Galilee too? And yet, in the midst of all this mockery, there are those who have come and drunk. People who see him as the Christ. People who come because they are thirsty. And so they come to him and drink. Now, if you are a Christian today, if you are someone who believes in him, you have come, you have drunk. But just a, a little reminder, this is... Um, talking about the Spirit. John says that. Um, in Ephesians, Paul says to Christians, in other words, people with the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. You could even translate it, go on being filled with the Spirit. In other words, 
don't stop drinking. <laughs> this is a reminder that this is still where we slake our thirst. Perhaps if we're Christians, we've Today we're feeling somewhat dead. Perhaps we've lost our thirst, our longing, our feeling of need for Jesus Christ. And if we have, if that's you or me, then lack of thirst is never a good symptom, is it? You know, if you go off your food and drink, you know, maybe you're weary or depressed or grieving. That happens, doesn't it? You go off food and drink and your eating and your drinking become just mechanical. And if you're on your own, you maybe even forget to do them. Well, if that's happened to you spiritually, well, this is a reminder to pray for your thirst, your spiritual thirst, to return. For Jesus did say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Think and remember the satisfaction that you once had in the water he offers. Think of the refreshment he offers you today. And come back, even if your thirst is very small, to the water. Come back and rely on him again. Come back and ask him to fill you and satisfy you once again. And remember very much that, as John says, as Jesus says rather, that the water will be turned to a stream that flows out from us. When you try and serve others. It's very hard if you are empty and dry and dissatisfied, isn't it? It's very hard if you don't have much life in yourself. It's when we are satisfied because we've come to Jesus and drunk, been satisfied with what he gives, that we are able to serve and to love the people around us in the way we were made to do. So come and drink your fill, rely on him, and the more we do, the more we will find those streams of living water blessing others. Are you thirsty, even a little thirsty? I know I am thirsty this morning. Let us come back to Jesus. It's a very simple message. You know, there's nothing complicated in one sense about this. It's just come to him and pray to him and beg him to give you the water that he promises. And he will. And of course, if we're not Christians, if we've never drunk this water, never believed, Jesus wants us to understand that he really is the one who can satisfy the deepest longings we were made for. Now, it isn't a promise to make life easy. If you were a thirsty pilgrim walking up through those dry hills to Jerusalem for the feast and someone gave you a glass of cool water, you would feel better. You would feel new strength in your legs. You would feel new pleasure as you walked. The hills would still be steep. Life may still be hard, but it's a lot better when you have this water to drink. Come and drink. Again, all we need to come with is our need and our emptiness. Come and drink. Come to him and feel the full refreshment coursing through you. Because he died to give you this drink and to bring you life. Let's pray. Lord and Father, we are thirsty in many different ways this morning. Only you can truly and ultimately satisfy. And I pray that you would help us to come to you and that you would fulfill that promise that you have made to us, that wonderful offer that if we come, we may drink, that you will give us the water we crave.
please do this for us now, today. Refresh our hearts and spirits. May we overflow with living water that you may give us life and that we may love those around us with new strength and joy. In Jesus' name, amen.